Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. We read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, just a single verse, verse 21. After eight days passed, when the child was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the Gospel of our Lord, we pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Dear fellow redeemed friends in Christ Jesus, the name that he was given on this day 2,000 years ago. This weekend, our world threw the biggest party of the year, right? New Year's parties, the whole world, fireworks and concerts and the whole, the whole nine yards, right? My question is, why? Why do we celebrate turning the page on a calendar? Does that make any sense? I mean, just think about it. We are all now a year older than we were 365 days ago. We all have probably either less hair or more gray hair or more wrinkles or more aches and pains. More is going wrong with us than 365 days ago. We are one year closer to our inevitable death. Is all of that something to celebrate? I know the world says there's always hope for the new year, that the new year could be better than the last year. Is that really a valid hope this year, though? I mean, when you think about what's going on in our world with runaway inflation, with new COVID variants coming out every few months, with crime and murder rates rising like crazy, with nation against nation and with the political polarization in our own country? Is there anything to be hopeful for in the year 2022? Do we have any reason to be optimistic that it will be better or any different than 2021? I'd say we have every reason and we have every right to be optimistic as we step out of 2021 and into 2022. There's one reason for it the reason we're considering today. Because a baby boy bled, we can be optimistic and hopeful that 2022 will be a very happy new year indeed. I think the question that sticks out to me in this text is, why? Why did Mary and Joseph have Jesus circumcised? Now, the the biblical scholars that I consulted this week tied themselves into all kinds of knots trying to explain What is going on here? Why is this happening? But the answer is really very simple. Jesus was circumcised because God said so. 2,000 years earlier, God had given this command to Abraham. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, a covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised by cutting the foreskin off your flesh. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So that's what circumcision was all about. It was a sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham, a unilateral covenant where God simply promised Abraham, I am going to send a Savior to save you from your sins. The Lord also reinstated or affirmed that covenant with Moses 500 years later at Mount Sinai, putting all of Israel under the the obligation to have their males circumcised 
on the eighth day after they were born. Circumcision really preaches both law and gospel. It's law in the sense that it reveals that little children, infants, eight-day-old infants even, that most of the world, and sadly even many Christians believe are innocent and blameless, are actually deeply sinful. They inherited original sin, a sinful nature, from their parents. Babies are not born innocent. They are born with black, rebellious, unbelieving, ungodly hearts. Babies are born to curse and murder and lie and lust and covet. And if you doubt any of those things, just remember that one day you were a baby too. And you no doubt are guilty of some of those things just like I am. Circumcision is a harsh preaching of the law. And it also tells us where our inborn sinful nature comes from. Why we have all of these tendencies to do what is wrong, to hurt the people we're supposed to love. It's not because we live in an evil world, although that exasperates the problem. Where does it come from? Well, it comes from our parents. Martin Luther had this to say about why circumcision uh, is addressed to the, the body part that it is. He says this, Why did God not command to circumcise the finger, hand, foot, eye, ear, or some other member of the body? Rather, he selects that member which serves no other work and practice in human life and was created by God only for the procreation and increase of mankind. If the evil was to be lopped off, then the hand or the tongue should in fairness have been circumcised before all the other members, since all wickedness among men is performed by the tongue and the hand. Circumcision is to picture what we are always saying, that God does not condemn or save the person because of the works, but the works because of the person. Therefore, our fault does not lie in the works, but in our nature. Our person, nature, and entire being are corrupted in us through Adam's fall. If then he had commanded the hand or the tongue to be circumcised, this would have been an indication that the fault lay in the words and works, that he is favorably disposed toward the nature and the person and hates only the words and the works. But now, since he takes that member which performs no other work than the procreation of human nature and personal being, he makes it clear that the fault lies in the entire essence of human nature, that its birth and the entire origin is corrupt, and sinful. And what that means is that our biggest problem in 2021 and our biggest problem as we walk into 2022 is not that we will do some things wrong, not that we will make some mistakes, some errors in judgment. Our biggest problem in any given year is that we are sinful to the core. We are rotten to the core and that's why we commit actual sins with our hands and with our tongue. And circumcision makes that very clear. Circumcision makes it clear that we are corrupt to the core. But circumcision also proclaims the gospel in that the Lord had also made a promise to Abraham that from your seed, from your seed, the Savior will be born. And so every time an eight-day-old boy was circumcised, bled in Israel, it was a reminder to all of the people of Israel that when the time is right, God will send His Son to be born of a woman, to be born under law, to redeem those under the law. So the circumcision preaches those dueling messages of, of law, of original sin and, and gospel. 
that God would send a Savior through Abraham's seed. We still haven't answered the main question, though. Why was Jesus circumcised? Circumcision was to illustrate the cutting off of sin. But Jesus, because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, didn't have any sin. He didn't have a sinful nature. Unlike you and me, his heart was not blackened with original sin. So why was Jesus circumcised? For us. God demands perfect obedience. Jesus himself says, Be perfect as I, the Lord your God, am perfect. And we are not perfect. We have not lived up to God's expectations, not even a single day of our life. Not a single day in 2021, and we will not live up to God's expectations a single day in 2022. God demanded that the law be kept perfectly. And circumcision was part of that law. So Jesus was obeying the law on our behalf perfectly, even as an eight-day-old infant. When we talk about salvation and how our salvation was earned, I think we typically talk about Jesus' passive obedience to the law. When he suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified on a cross. This is an example, however, of Jesus' active obedience. He actively obeyed the law of God on our behalf as our substitute so that through faith, when God looks at us, he doesn't see the the ugly things we've done and thought and said. He sees Jesus' perfection. Jesus' Perfect life covers us like like a robe so that God doesn't see our sinfulness anymore. All he sees is Christ. That's why we can be confident and optimistic as we walk into this new year because Jesus, baby Jesus, bled. We are forgiven in his name. In the Bible, the New Testament makes it clear that we don't have to practice circumcision as a religious ritual of obedience to the law of God anymore. Jesus has fulfilled that aspect of God's law. We are freed from that. We don't have to do that. But, but God continues to visibly and physically illustrate that he is committed to keeping his promise to save us through the New Testament sacrament of holy baptism. In fact, in Colossians, Paul even calls baptism a circumcision that is performed but not with human hands that it is a a circumcision that the Holy Spirit works on our hearts through water and the Word. Baptism, too, preaches law and gospel. We bring infants to the baptismal font. Why? Because just like David, they were sinful from birth, sinful from the time their mothers conceived them. They, too, desperately need the salvation that only Jesus can offer. But it's also... Such rich gospel for us to remember, the sacrament of holy baptism. That that God saved us unilaterally. Especially if you were baptized as a child, what did you bring to the table when you were baptized? Only your sin. God did everything else. God took you in His arms in baptism and made you His child and washed away all of your sins for Jesus' sake. And as parents and grandparents, what a comfort that is to know That even though our eight-day-old or week-old babies, they can't walk, they can't talk, they can't read the Bible for themselves, they can't tell us what they believe, but they are saved. 
Because in, in baptism, God saved them. God went to work on them. Just like circumcision marked a baby for the rest of his life, so God wants baptism to be something that has lifelong impact in our life too. Think of baptism this way, that, that when God found us, we were like fish flopping around on the beach doomed to die. And the Lord came to us in his grace and he picked us up and he breathed life into us in baptism and then he, he put us back into the water of his grace. And he wants us to swim in that grace every day of our lives. And we do that by daily confessing our sins and by daily remembering that in Jesus we have forgiveness. That is to be a lifelong thing. That is why Luther, in his large catechism, suggested if you've been baptized, cross yourself every morning and every evening to remember who you are. Whatever else you may be, the most important thing you are is a child of God, a child of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the most important thing about you. And just because we're, we forget that so frequently, every time we come here to worship, we begin in that name into which you've been baptized. And we close with that ironic blessing, with the reminder that because we carry the name of child of God, we are blessed. We live in that every day. Because Jesus, as a baby boy bled, we live in his name. The final point that Luke wants us to take from Jesus' circumcision and naming is that this good news is too precious to keep to ourselves. This is really about evangelism. And now you might say, I don't see anything in that verse about preaching or teaching the Word of God. Let's just read it one more time. After eight days passed, when the child was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, the circumstances here were pretty similar to what we do today when a baby is born. You, uh, you post pictures on Facebook, right? Or you might, you might go on to Shutterfly and send out a cute postcard with the, the height and the weight of the next Packers linebacker or whatever it may be. You're making a birth announcement, and, and that's what Mary and Joseph were doing here with the circumcision and naming. Announcing to the world that this baby has been born, but more than that, giving him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. I don't think we probably recognize what a remarkable act of faith that was for Mary and Joseph to give him the name Jesus. Remember the circumstances. They hadn't been married when the angel came to each of them separately and said, Mary's going to have a child. They weren't lying in the same bed when that baby was conceived. They were compelled by the Roman government to travel to Bethlehem at the very moment when it's the worst time for a woman to be traveling when she's very much pregnant. There was no room for them in any of the inns in Bethlehem, and so they were forced to stay in a stable. The only people who came to honor Jesus on the night he was born were some dirty, filthy, stinky shepherds. By all appearances, this was no extraordinary baby. By all appearances, and many people even brought this up later on in Jesus' ministry, he was an illegitimate child of, of homeless and, and poor Jews. By all appearances, this didn't seem to be 
the Savior of the world, the Son of God in human flesh. In such humble circumstances was Jesus born that no one else knew what had happened. The kings of Israel didn't come and bow down before Him. The priests, the high priests, and the Levites didn't come and bow down before Him. It was a tremendous act of faith for Mary and Joseph to follow through, to believe the words of the angel, and to to trust that even though this baby in their arms looked just like any other baby, he was more than that. He was the Son of God. He was the Savior who was born not just to save them, but to born to save the entire world from their sins. This is an evangelistic text of shouting the name Jesus. The only name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So what does that mean for us this year? Well, it means that we don't have to have a voters meeting and we we don't have to take a poll and we don't have to find the latest, greatest book on how to grow your church to understand what direction we're going to be going in this new year. In this new year, we will do what we have done for the past 20-some years here at Risen Savior. We will proclaim the name of Jesus. We will proclaim it in a world that has already forgotten, long forgotten about Christmas, long forgotten about that baby born in the manger because they don't think it has any impact on their everyday lives. We will baptize little, depraved, rebellious babies and adults in that font this year. We will proclaim the name of Jesus to the next generation. We will proclaim His words and His works to them so that the next generation too may have the comfort of knowing Jesus as their Savior. We will, we will feed and we will fortify the faith of all people of all ages through the Lord's Supper and through Bible classes. We may commit some risen Savior members' bodies to the dust. But even as we do that, we will commit their souls to their Heavenly Father in Jesus' name. We will continue to proclaim the name of Jesus even in a world that wants nothing to do with Jesus. It's not a very popular thing these days to be proclaiming Jesus' name. To be proclaiming that salvation can only be found in Him. But let's make it our resolution as risen Savior members to keep proclaiming it. Because whatever other resolutions you make, They don't really matter. Not eternally they don't. But the resolution to keep proclaiming the name of Jesus in your own family, to your friends, to your co-workers, to the people you love, to supporting as as you have so generously the proclamation of the Gospel right here, that will not only change lives, that changes eternities. And so whatever else happens in 2022, let's make a resolution that it will find us proclaiming the saving name of Jesus. This weekend, our world threw the biggest party of the year. I still don't really know why we celebrate New Year's the way we do, but they did. We have much more reason to celebrate walking into the new year because a baby boy bled for us. A baby boy bled eight days after he was born, and he bled some three decades later on a cross to wash away our sins. Because a baby boy bled, We live in the name of Jesus. We are forgiven in the name of Jesus. And we will proclaim the name of Jesus. Amen.